0: You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Podcast. And this morning we have a very good-looking man to bring the Word of God. My husband and your pastor, Pastor Jeff Buchanan. I'm going to have to work this out when my wife's not introducing me, probably. Well, good morning, everyone. So glad to see you all here today. As you can see, Pastor Farrell is in Israel right now, and obviously he's just suffering. I feel for him right now. I'll be praying. Uh, but no, the weather is obviously a lot better there than it is here right now, but glad that you're here. And as I was thinking about what we're going to be teaching this morning, I did think about, well, this is the Sunday before Valentine's Day, and thought it would be kind of good to talk about, well, let's talk about love. What is love? Uh, What does authentic, true, biblical love look like? So, uh, we're going to start off with, I like what I'd like for you to do is open your Bibles to Mark chapter 12. We're going to begin with verse 28 through 34. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God... The Lord is one. The, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one, and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. As we look at that, <clears throat> to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, that's a lot of all. And what does that mean exactly? Exactly. Because I think that we have a challenge in our current culture, in our current society, to really grasp the breadth of that. Because I think that our understanding of what love is, is very shallow and very weak. Culture has reduced the meaning of love to an immature and misinformed understanding. We have created sentimental ideals of what love is and diluted it of its power. You think about it. You go into a store and you see all these opportunities for you to buy something to express your love to your significant other. And those are, that's a great thing. I think, I'm not slamming that. I think that's a wonderful thing that we have the opportunity to kind of go and get gifts for each other to express that. But a lot of times it's just reduced down to that mere sentiment. The way that we look at love today has really kind of just been polarized down to two components. One erotic love love revolving around sex that's kind of the way our sexual expression, that's one way that we see love and the other way is really kind of just sentimental love it's the feeling it's the euphoria, it's the warm fuzzy, it's just the the fact that we get together and we say love you and we give lots of hugs and butterfly kisses and squeezes and all of that stuff and that's great, I'm not slamming that but it seems to stop there it seems that if love is expressed in any other type of way, then it seemed as unloving. We, we, we just have such a weak understanding. We have such a kind of a, a really anemic understanding of what tr- true love really means. And what happens is that, you know, when you hear a scripture that says God is love, but then difficulty comes into your life, or it seems that God does something that doesn't seem to kind of jive with that verse— Then we begin to question God, we begin to question our faith, we begin to question everything because God is love. But what's happened there is that we've reduced God down to one thing, one attribute, one component. God is love. Yes, he is love. But what that scripture means is basically that God exemplifies everything that love is. God is also a lot of other things. There are a lot of other attributes of a God. God is also holy, he's wise, he's truthful, he's good, he's faithful. God is mercy, God is kind, God is patience, God is justice, God is righteousness, God is wrath, God is jealousy, God is grace. So how do you reconcile God is love with God is wrath? God is jealousy. God is all these other things that seem to be in opposition of what love is. The thing is, is that God is all of those things. He makes up all, it's the full breadth of who God is. To truly know God, you have to know all of his attributes. You can't just pick and choose. Because when you pick and choose and say that God is love, he is this loving being and that's the only aspect of his character that you want to acknowledge and work in, then what happens is that you basically create a false god, because it's not the true god. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later as we get into this. But we run in danger of really creating an idol in our life when we don't have a full understanding of who God is and all the attributes that he represents and that he has. Love begins by loving God with all your heart and mind, which is the seed of the thoughts, passions, desires, and appetites. All of this focuses on who we are and how and what we think. Let's talk about that. What does it mean with all your heart and mind? Some of you got this mental picture of going, I'm loving God with all my mind. You're straining to think about God. That's not what it's saying. (coughs) That's not what it means. Whenever a king took reign within Israel, it was understood that his first responsibility was not to appoint his administration. His first responsibility was to take scripture and to write it all out in his own handwriting. So that he would use that scripture daily, praying from it, studying from it, understanding it. That he went through the action, the discipline, to write all that out. Because they knew that for a king who truly knew who God was, could not help but be a compassionate, benevolent, just, righteous, holy ruler. He did this so that he may revere the Lord God. He did it so that he may follow his commandments. He did it so that he would not consider himself better than his brothers and sisters. It brought a full understanding of who God was, which began to define him as a ruler and as a king. Much like the way that we should do that. That the king was loving with all his heart and mind. It's like what the Jews... uh, would do of strapping the scripture to their wrists and strapping the scripture to their head they knew the understanding of going this had to be so ingrained in who I am and everything that I do for me to truly know God and to understand his love I have to fully comprehend who he is I have to go as deep as my limited understanding will take me in fully acknowledging who he is and all of his attributes loving God though in this cannot be divorced from fearing and obeying him that loving god with our, all of our heart loving god with all of our mind means the study the, the depth of going into knowing who he is but it also means that if you truly love god you have to also walk in obedience because scripture also says that jesus said that if you love me what You'll keep my commandments. Obedience is a demonstration of our love for Christ. For those that are walking in disobedience, you're basically demonstrating that you are not loving Christ. You can say, oh God, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, but if your life does not demonstrate that, we do not see tangible fruit, then no, we are not authentically and truly loving God. Because if you love someone, you want to do what they ask and what they require. There's a lot of teaching out there right now that basically says you can live any way that you want and still love Jesus. That is false teaching. It's wrong. It's an error. That scripture tells us that if we are truly loving God, we are willing to be fearful and obedient to him. Fearful, now when you hear that word, for those of you that... May it be new to the faith or may uh, relatively, you know, um, not, maybe not understanding what that means. Fearful is not meaning that we walk in coward fear of a God that could absolutely, you know, blot us off the face of the earth. That is not what that means. It means a reverence. It means an awe. It means an, a, walking in an understanding and acknowledgement that He is the all powerful, all holy, universal God. It's walking in acknowledgement of His power. Uh, it's walking in acknowledgement of just his magnanimous presence of what that is. That, that's walking in the fear of the Lord, acknowledging that you are greater than I. That's the essence of that. So we walk. We understand with all of our heart and our mind, we also <clears throat> love him with all of our soul and strength. That is with the intensity of our being. We are commanded to love God not simply with our whole heart, but for from our whole heart. Now let me explain that. When we love God with our whole heart, we're basically saying that we're loving Him by means of our heart. I'm kind of loving Him, you know, by the means of my heart. When I'm loving Him from my whole heart, I'm loving Him from the source. I'm loving Him from the depth. I'm loving Him from the inner reaching of everything that I am, that I'm loving Him from my whole heart. And that is what we should strive through. When Christ is quoting Deuteronomy four, six, four through eight in this in this context, he's saying, loving God with heart and soul and mind and strength is bound up with the reading, the cherishing, the meditating on, and the obeying of God's word. That it is all of that. <clears throat> One of the things that you know it, it's so great to see. Where we 've gone far as a church and, and you know throughout our history and everything and coming into um, you know different phases and everything the church goes through and how you know we want to express our love for God how we want to worship him you know it looks different from time to generation to generation to generation, and with just the accessibility of all the information that we have we are have more access to information than any other previous generation in history that we want to know something we can just command it by the you know, snap of a finger. And with that you know comes kind of this expediency that you know everything can kind of be quick and summarized. And what's happened is that in essence, we've done a lot of that with our faith as well. We want to make it very convenient, very cliff notes, if you will, and think that we're getting some depth of understanding about who God is. It just doesn't work that way. You know, when we say, and these are good, useful tools, so if some of us are using it, I'm not knocking the fact that you're using it, but if it's all that you're using, then there's a problem. When we have, you know, kind of these devotional studies and such of going five minutes with Jesus in the car, and there are actually studies and such out there like that, that five minutes is Jesus with the car, or, you know, how to get to know Jesus in, you know, um, you know with 10 verses you know, a week. Or something something along that line. We've just kind of almost kind of dispensed it all in just little breadcrumbs. And we expect that we're going to grow from that. Then we have unrealistic expectations. If we expect that we're really going to truly know who God is through that little effort and investment in the relationship, then we're not. It's as though for those of you that are married to say, I'm going to get to know my spouse in just five minutes a day. That's the amount of time that I'm going to devote into understanding who you are, understanding your dreams, your passions, everything about your history, everything that makes up who you are, I'm giving you five minutes. And that's what we do with God. And then we understand when we don't know who he is, how we can comprehend his love. We understand why and then we question going, God, I want to love this person. I want to love from the from the depth of my heart, as you've commanded, but I just don't have the ability to do that. And that lack of love is not demonstrating the fact that you don't have the ability, it's demonstrating the fact of your fallenness. It's demonstrating the fact, of the fact that the only that ability to love comes from the empowering grace of the Holy Spirit. But if we don't know who God is, and we're not tapping into that Holy Spirit each and every day, and if we're not growing in our relationship with Him, we will never have the capacity to love as we are commanded. You cannot have the love of God without knowing God. When we fail to love God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, we in essence dethrone God and place an idol instead. We betray the love we owe to God by loving another more. We are wired to where we are going to worship something. And tell me that, well, I don't worship anything. And if you're an atheist going, I don't worship anything. Yes, you do. We'll sit down, we'll talk, and I'll find out exactly what it is that you worship. You can't help it. There's something that you put within your life that you value and that you serve each and every day. So we all are wired to worship something. And when it is not God or it's not the accurate represent, representation of God, then we have a false idol in place. And we're worshiping a false god that we have to strive to know who God, he, who God is so that we may worship the authentic and true God. We are not commanded to feel a feeling, but rather express it through action. Now, <clears throat> this does not mean that we strip love of its affective content. We do not mean that we don't strip it of its affections. To do so basically reduces it down to altruism or just acts of service. Something that a number of organizations around this community do on a daily basis. I'm not saying they don't have love or feeling with that, but the fact is if I just do something for you without there being any kind of feeling or whatever, I'm just being altruistic, basically. And the reality is that when we love someone, there needs to be some level of compassion. There needs to be some empathy. There needs to be some understanding. There needs to be some emotional involvement in that. There's a teaching that's going around, quite frankly, popular in evangelical circles going well you know <clears throat> you need love people whether you feel like it or not you know you, you, you love regardless of feeling well I understand that sometimes we need to do something even though we may not feel it that's just healthy that's growing into maturity but to say something going like you know basically you know Chris I, I'm having a hard time having any feeling for you but I'm doing this because I love you I hope you feel the love for me right now <laughs> It, 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 there's no depth. There's no. Ch- it's just basically kind of a charity act. And the fact that it has to be complimented because how can we truly love someone if we don't have empathetic understanding? If we don't have affection? If we don't have that compassion for Christ that exemplified that, you know, hanging on the cross? And God forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's gosh. That was a compassionate, empathetic response in the midst of His greatest suffering. That was love demonstrated. but we also can't just simply have a feeling without following up on it. There also has to be followed with action. It has to be love and action. Or else it isn't love as well. There's a duality to it in what I'm talking about right now. You have to have both that can't be separated from the other. So simply love and express a kind of just a warm emotion, but without actually doing anything. That's not love. That's just you having a sentimental moment. And sentimentality is not love. Our love from God flows from our knowledge of who he is. <clears throat> How can we love him with heart and mind if we do not increasingly know him, know what he likes, know what he loathes, know what he's disclosed, know what he commands, and know what he forbids? We cannot truly love him unless we have true, authentic knowledge of who he is. And if your depth of understanding of who God is is only this deep, then you've just discovered the depth of your capacity to love. You have to have a greater understanding. We have to challenge ourselves to go deeper. We have to challenge ourselves to contend for a depth of understanding of who God is if we truly want to walk in this love. So love is demonstrated to others by, and we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7. It says this, Love is demonstrated by, love is patient, Love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does no delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. If this were a test, I've just failed miserably. I look at this list and go, well, yeah, sometimes I can exemplify that, but if I'm being honest, no. I, I don't fully embrace the full capacity of that. But it's something I should contend for and strive for each and every day and challenge myself. This shows whether or not we truly have an understanding of love in our life. If we're exemplifying these things. Now, there's a lot of things that were listed there, but we're just going to concentrate on four of them. There, that, that love is kind. Love demonstrates a willingness to serve and to change in order to meet the needs of others. that there's a willingness there for you to bend for the benefit of someone else. That is kindness. Now, there is a misunderstanding in culture today, believing that Christians are not Christians are supposed to be nice, that we mistake kindness for niceness. And every, you know, we should, you know, shouldn't do it, say anything disagreeable. You should be nice, always walking around with a perpetual smile on your face, and just have this essence of nothing but joy and euphoria everywhere you go, and that, you know, nothing is ever, ever unpleasant around you. Now, granted, those are nice qualities to have, and I'm not saying that that's a wrong thing, but I'm saying, but. If you're mistaking that for kindness, that's a completely different thing. Being nice doesn't necessarily help us to grow. It doesn't necessarily exemplify what it is that God's calling us to. Kindness requires a sacrifice upon our part. It's a willingness to serve the other. It's a willingness to change, to meet the needs of the other. That's being kind. Sometimes kindness means that you bring correction into someone's life, and that's not always nice. So Kindness also means that you may disagree with someone. And we're told today that you're not nice if you disagree with me. We want you, to, you know, if you want to be nice, you have to always agree with everything I say. No, I would rather be kind. Because kindness is to serve to the benefit of you, not myself. People that enjoy being nice it's really more about them than the other person. Because they're more concerned, in many cases, of how other people see them rather than how they are benefiting or seeing others. It's all about them. I just want to be known. I, had, I remember someone saying, you know, uh, having a conversation, and we're talking about, what do you want to be most known for? And this person was like, I want to be known for my love. Okay. That's good, but I'm beginning to question, I wonder if that's you want to be known for being loving, or you want to be known for actually demonstrating the love of Christ in other people's life, because some, one of those will always be, make you see, be seen in a favorable light. The other will not. Sometimes love does not always put us in a favorable light. And I'll explain a little bit more about that as we move on. Love is humble. Love is not ambitious. It's not self-centered. We're so consumed with itself that it never thinks of the needs of others or the desires that others possess. Loving others requires two things. Humility and discomfort. If you're going to love someone else, you have to be willing to humble yourself. You have to be willing to put the needs of the other person above yourself. We want to talk about going into marriage and relationships and such this uh, coming week and such and wondering why there can be so much discord within marriage. Number one reason, in the majority of cases of 19 years of ministry that I've encountered, the number one destructor of marriage is pride. Flat out pride. I want what I want, how I want, when I want it, where I want it. I'm putting my needs above the other person. The secret to marital success is that husbands, your goal is to outserve your wife. Wife, your goal is to outserve your husband. If you are outserving each other in every aspect of your marriage, then I can't see how can you cannot be successful. If your goal is to diminish yourself. So the other may be exalted. How can you not be successful if both partners are doing this at the same time? Now, one can do this and the other can't, you know, that's why it's a partnership. But it requires a level of humility. You know what the short definition of pride is? Preservation of self where you are preserving yourself, you are preserving your agenda, you're preserving your reputation, your in- image, all of that, where you seek to always defend and to preserve yourself. Love doesn't demand others to be like itself. It's focused on the needs of others. and bends over backwards to become what others need it to be. The more that we require the other person to be lovable in order for us to care, the less loving we are. I would love to love you more, but you're not as lovable as I need you to be. Can you work on that? I thank God that Jesus never did that with me, or else I would have no hope. That God, that this thing, you know think about it. Jesus loved us when we are most unlovable. A lot of us are not very lovable people. A lot of us, have issues and challenges. A lot of us have baggage. A lot of us have things that, you know, that at times can make us be very unlovable people. But our call is to love regardless. If you wait for the other person to become, you know, palatable for your love, then it's never going to happen. And two, once again, it's all about you. And the fact that you cannot discomfort yourself, the fact that you cannot bend... Um, bend yourself to accommodate the other person. Love is not ambitious, not self-centered, it's not consumed with itself. It doesn't go around talking about itself all the time, not constantly exaggerating and embellishing the facts to make itself look more important in the sight of others. You know what, as you continue, for those of you that may struggle with that, feeling the fact that you've always got to be seen a little bit, a notch above, and always constantly playing the game of topper because that's the only way that you can find any value and find any sense of identity is continuing to make sure that you are seen at the top of that. That as you continue to promote yourself, guess what? You always have to always step on somebody else to get to the top. You always have to diminish somebody else. If you've got to be seen as the smartest person in the room, if you've got to be seen as the most competent or the best looking or whatever it may be, if you always got to be seen as yourself above anybody else, you're doing that at the expense of someone else. You know, I I see this demonstrated so effectively on social media. And I see within our midst, people that are interacting in some of the most unloving ways and I find it so grieving. The fact is is that I've got to get my agenda out there. I have to get my point out there. I've got to be seen as that what I'm saying is right. And that I was right all along. Without the consideration, without the thought, without the breadth of what it is that you're saying, what you're putting out there, and thinking that, you know, does that really represent the love of Christ? I I can't help but if I hear people in the world, say, you know, I can go in the church and go in the walls, and yes, we come together on Sunday morning and do a bunch of things like sing together and listen to somebody speak. But I really, I work with these people. I don't see any difference in them. than my co-workers. So why can't I just sleep in on Sunday? I only get two days off. Why should, why should I even bother to come on Sunday morning if it's the same old, same old that I see at work? Quite frankly, I just see a lot of that exemplified as how we express ourselves within social media in a number of different ways, some of it's just the most unloving, ungracious way, and it's really more about you being right. It's more about your personal agenda than it is about trying to have an empathetic understanding about everything that's going on in this world today. Because a lot of us only have a limited view. A lot of us only have a limited capacity. In fact, it is going, maybe we should be asking more questions. Maybe we should be trying to have empathy. Maybe we should be trying to have understanding. Maybe we should be striving for compassion as Christ did. Love does not behave in a prideful or arrogant or haughty or superior or snooty, snobbish or clannish manner. It's not rude or discourteous. It's not careless or thoughtless, nor does it carry on in a fashion that would be considered insensitive to others. Love is humble. Love is selfless. Love protects, it shields, it guards, it covers, it conceals, it safeguards others. It doesn't manipulate others or scheme or devise methods that twist situations to its own advantage. If you struggle with manipulation, that you've always got to kind of work somebody else to make sure they they kind of go um, in the way that you want them to go, or you may try to be manipulative with your family, your coworkers, or whatever, that's not love. That's about you striving. That's about you trying to come out on top. That's about you leading ahead. You know, the word "irritable" is translated as "provoked." The word in Greek means someone who comes alongside another and begins to poke, prick, or stick that other person with some type of sharpened instrument. Heard people say that, you know, I just like to provoke thought. I like to provoke. Get people to thinking, or stir the pot, if you will. Okay, but how you do it makes all the difference in the world. Some of us think that we're provoking, but actually what we're being is divisive. As scripture would say, a divisive man or woman. That, that provoking, stirring something up, is trying to kind of get... It's trying to get kind of things kind of going on, just stirred up and always, you know, and just agitated. That doesn't bring unity to the body of Christ. That doesn't bring compassion. That doesn't bring empathy. It just brings dissension. It brings division based upon our differences. It doesn't strive to understand That's this provoking that happens. Don't provoke but rather yield to being a reconciliation in the body of Christ. Love does not deliberately engage in actions or speak words that are so sharp that it causes ugly or violent response. It doesn't deliberately keep records of wrongs or past mistakes. It doesn't feel overjoyed when it sees an injustice happen to someone. Some of us struggle with that, let's be honest. Someone that you would see as an enemy, someone that you would see has been not kind to you, and then something happens to them that you think that puts them in their place, and I will raise my hand because, yes, absolutely, this is something I've done, I've struggled with, whatever, but you have that, that temptation of going, yes, finally, justice. I've actually seen that. One is going, this coworker, uh, you know, it's very difficult to deal with, just always bringing issues, and I just want to bring a praise report that they got fired this past week. <laughs> Seriously! Like, are you kidding me? But this is the church. And we wonder why the church, wonder why the world looks down its nose at the church and thinks that the church is a joke. Because we're so hypocritical. We're so hypocritical in what we say, And then what we actually do. Love strains forward with all its might to believe the very best in every situation. It always expects and anticipates the best in others and the best for others. That we should always be striving to see the best in others. That doesn't mean that we turn a blind eye and that we, you know, we, we kind of just kind of have this obscure, optimistic view of every situation in fact that we we need to also be seeing things for as they really are. But rather than jumping to a conclusion about the worst, we should be striving to assume the best whenever possible. Now loving people doesn't mean that we put up with evil and foolishness. People who are truly loving will confront, limit, and quarantine people who are consistently making the wrong choices. Now that doesn't sound very loving, does it? But Loving, loving someone, or you know, being loving also means establishing boundaries. Relationships have criteria. Relationship, you know, there's a criteria to having relationship with people. And when people violate that, we also have to make sure that we're being loving towards others and such. And when one person's behavior is uh, being harmful to you or to someone else, then yes, there has to be constraints put upon that. There has to be boundaries. There has to be saying, no, no, you may not do that. You can be loving for parents that may be struggling. With a child or a family member or something uh, that you know is living a life that is destructive or maybe they have addictive behavior or whatever, being loving also means putting constraints and boundaries on that person as well for their benefit and for the benefit of everyone else i 've seen this happen within a um, young man I was counseling for a while that basically the the brother had severe, severe anger issues. And the parents didn't necessarily address it and put constraints on it the way they needed to, and it wound up having devastating damage to the, to the other brother to where he had psychological issues uh, for a number of years within his life. Being loving would have also been making sure that you're protecting the other child as well, and also putting constraints on that one person so they don't bring harm to themselves or anyone else. There are appropriate times, being loving, sometimes we have to be strong, we have to be resilient, and we also have to be uh, resolved in our position and uncompromising. We can do that in a loving way, but we have to make sure that we're, we're doing it in a righteous way, but it also requires us sometimes to say, no, this is sin, it needs to stop. And I will not tolerate it in my life or in my family's life. And some of you are struggling with that. I believe there's somebody here that's struggling with that this morning. And you're showing them going, well, I want to be seen as loving. I want to love this person. I believe the Lord would say, as I have loved you and as I have loved others, that sometimes the most loving thing I can do is to say no and to bring correction and to bring restraint. Do not be deceived into thinking that sentimentality and that mere affection is going to suffice in your situation, that you have to bring the broad comprehension of what love is, as God has done with us, God brings affection, he brings compassion and empathy, but he also corrects those whom he loves. He also brings growth and maturity and all these other things in order for us to become the best he's called us to be. And finally... Enduring. Love never quits. It bears trials, perseveres. It never gives up. Love never, never stops. It never gives up. It is always enduring and pressing through. Again, not saying that it tolerates bad behavior or sin, but in that he can put a boundary, but saying that my love is stationary. My love is not going anywhere. It's permanent. It's resilient. It's resolved. This is, this is where it stays. Now, should you choose to walk outside of my love, that is not my fault. That is of your consequence. But should you choose to come back, then it is here. Prodigal son's story exemplifies that greatly. It's not the father that left. It's the son that left. The father stayed stationary. He was where he always was. His love was there. And when the son came back, he ran and met him with open arms. But we also called to, to stay in God's love, and that sometimes you know we can take ourselves out from under, under that covering, out from under that protection. Scripture also says that um, uh, say under the mighty hand of God, for bring yourself under the mighty hand of God, for He will exalt you in due season. That there's a covering that we are to stay under. That His love covers us. That when we are to stay under that, then we get the full benefit, the full protection, the full consequence of staying within that love and there are those of us that have fallen outside of that and all you have to simply do is turn around run back up the road and God will meet you with open arms and embrace you fully God's love is ever enduring it's ever patient and it always perseveres as we should But if anything you've heard this morning, to understand that you're not necessarily going to walk out of here going, Oh, I got it. I know what love is. I want you to walk out of here knowing, Oh, this is what I must do in order to fully have the love of God in my life. To fully exemplify that. This is what I have to do. I have to be committed to fully knowing him the full understanding of who he is, his totality, his complete personality, not just one aspect that I find appealing or that I choose, but everything that he is. Otherwise, we'll never fully grasp that. So I'd I'd just like for everybody to bow your head, close your eyes, no one looking around, but I want to invite opportunity for those that May not know the love of Christ. You're not going to know what I'm talking about if you don't have a relationship with Christ. And what a relationship with Christ looks like this is that you acknowledge Him, that He is Savior, you acknowledge that He is God, you choose to worship Him and only Him all the days of your life, that you will follow Him and that you will walk in obedience to what His Word says, and that you are committed to that. It's not a prayer, it is a commitment, it is a decision that this is the God of my life. This is the God that I choose. And I will worship no other being, I will worship no other idol in my life other than that of Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. If that is you, what I would like for you to do is to have the courage to raise your hand and say, I am making that commitment this morning. I choose to follow Christ. I see you, too. I see you, too. Yes, I see you. See you. Amen. One to others. Yes. Yes to you. Anyone in the balcony, if I can see, just raise your hand, because I want to party with you. I want to acknowledge the fact that you're making this commitment today. Over here. Yes. Thank you. go. this is what I want us to do. I want us to pray. And for those of you that made a decision, and I want my ministry teams to listen very carefully, <clears throat> I want you to make yourself available again after this service because I want you to pray with the people that have made decisions. Those of you that have made decision, I want you to have the boldness to come out front after the service and pray with the, our ministry team. So they can also provide you some information about what your next steps need to be. This is very important. I cannot stress that enough. Very important that you understand what the next steps need to be for you to continue your growth in Christ. But that you'll come down here and that you pray with our team. And that you begin to take that first step. You begin to walk out your new life. Because today, as a result of this commitment, you are now born again. You are now regenerated. You are now a new person. And Christ has come to dwell within you. And you now have all the benefit and the power of heaven that dwells within you. So I want us to pray this together. Father. We acknowledge that you are Lord and Savior, and God, that you have come to save us, and you died, and you sacrificed yourself for our benefit. And Father, we acknowledge the gift of your salvation. We ask that you come into our heart. Lord, that we ask that you fill our life with the power of our Holy Spirit as we choose to worship you and only you for all of the days of our life. God, I acknowledge that you are Lord, that you are Christ, that you are Jesus, the Messiah, the chosen one, the one that brings salvation to all. And I choose to walk with you all the days of my life. And I ask, God, that you begin the, the work that you have begun in me today, that we will continue as I walk out this door. And I celebrate the gift of salvation that you've given me. And we praise that in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Let's give us a pause for those that have come to Christ this morning. What I'd like for us to do, again, ministry teams, go ahead and make your way down um, up front. For those of you that made decisions, you can go ahead and make your way down as well. For the rest of us, let's go out and truly exemplify what the love of Christ looks like on this Valentine's Day. And and truly the love of God. You guys have a great week.